We're going to continue our series on uh, First and Second Peter, and today we're in Second Peter chapter two. So if you'll get your Bibles, and uh, this is a, a this letter, Second Peter has three chapters, and if you remember that the original letters were not broken up in chapters, it was just a written letter. It may have been broken up in paragraphs. I don't even know if they use paragraphs, but it wasn't it wasn't chaptered and verses numbered. Uh, this has all been added to make it uh, more accessible, more researchable, and and easier for us to refer to. And I thank God it does have chapters. But you know, anytime you read a letter, you know the heart of the letter. Is very important. The introduction is important, the, and the salutation or the end is important, but the meat is usually right in the middle. And uh, especially if they're, if they're using what we call sandwich psychology, you know, real positive on the beginning and real positive on the ending, but all the negative stuff, all the corrective stuff is in the middle. Well, that's the case of Second Peter. The middle is the problem area. The middle is the the corrective uh, area, and he's speaking in reference to uh, false uh, teachers that are that have come into the church and are in and among the people of God, and he's uh, he's 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 calling them out, and he's pinpointing who they are, and he's he's warning them of coming judgment, and he's warning us to. Uh, 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 negotiate around them or to not be affected by their their uh, evil doctrines and uh, as we re referred to the first chapter the first chapter we wrote above it the true you know chapter one is talking about people who are full of the word full of the truth uh, that are committed to truth and they're operating as 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 true witnesses of God they're they're representative of the light of God, the truth of God, the holiness of God. And we can do this because God's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit who produces in us the life of God and the likeness of God. Godliness means God-likeness. And so we've become partakers of his divine nature. And so the first chapter is setting, uh, presenting us as we should be uh, once we understand and have a knowledge of who Christ is in us. Christ in me is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the anointed. Christ means anointing. The anointed one, the one who anointed Jesus now anoints us. The one who filled Jesus with power now fills us with power. And Jesus said it himself, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power to do what? To be witnesses of me, to represent me, to take my place. He said, I'm going to the Father, and I'm leaving you here, but I'm sending someone who has the same anointing that I do, I'm sending him. He'll not only be with you, but he'll be in you. And he will remind you of everything that I've said. He will guide you. 
and he will reveal things that are to come. Amen. So you'll have, you'll have his power, his anointing, and his understanding of the times and of what's happening. You won't be caught by surprise because he's going to tell you what's happening before it happens. You become really prophets living in the world in this age. You, are become, you become prophets because the, the spirit of the prophet is in you. And he produces godliness, godlikeness. He produces the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, uh, against which there is no law. You know, there, the, he, he, uh, he, he makes you not only a partaker of these things, but a producer of these things. We're not just partakers, but we're producers. That's why we need to produce. Amen. We're not just here to take it in, not just here to receive, 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 receive. Any, any body of water that receives but never gives out becomes stagnant becomes polluted and dies. You know, there's this river in, the, in Israel uh, called the Jordan River that comes out of the mountains in the north, and it flows fresh water, mountain, you know, snow melt, cold snow melted water coming down out of the mountains and, and through the heart of Israel, but it empties into the Dead Sea. This, this water is living, it's vibrant, it's alive, and it has fish in it. And, you know, we know all the Bible stories about them catching fish out of this, out of this Sea of Galilee, which was part of that river system. But then when it gets into the, the Dead Sea, there's no outlet. It's, uh, it's the lowest point on earth as far as sea level. And so there, there's, no, there's no way for this water to get out. And so it sits there and sits there until until it, it, everything in it dies. And it's full of salt. And it's, it's just, it's so salty that you can float in it, you know, without any difficulty. But you don't want to get any of that salt in you because it, it, will, it will immediately dry you out. I mean, there's, it'll suck the life out of you. You stay in that water too long, it will literally suck the life out of you. And yet tourists are floating around in there like beached whales all the time. Well, not for long, or they would die. And there's warning signs that tell you to, you know, don't drink this water. It'll, you know, it'll kill you. It's like poison to you. What happened? What happened to that living, vibrant water of life that came out of the out of the mountains? Well, it it reached a point where it was no longer giving out. And when it quit giving out, it dies. Well, we don't want to be like that. And, and uh, because we have the very life of God, the essence of God on the inside of us. And uh, so we need to always be giving out and producing. Amen. So, you know, if you hear something that blesses you, you need to immediately share it with somebody. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. You know, if you hear something this morning that blesses you, before the day's over, share it with somebody. I mean, keep it moving. And don't, you don't have to say, Pastor said, even though it might be good advertising for, you know, for the church. But, uh, you know, you, you could at least say, you know, uh, listen to what I learned from the Word of God this morning. This will bless you. It blessed me. It will bless you. And folks, will, you know, they'll listen. I mean, if you got blessed by something, they'll listen to you. Amen? 
And uh, so pass it on. Everybody say, pass it on. That's the, that's the only way you're going to keep from being stagnant, is to pass it on. Share it with other people. Amen. Well, in second, then in Second Peter, he begins to talk about some past examples of people who were, uh, who were false prophets that had come among the people. And their impact on the people was negative. They, they, uh, they, they, they taught doctrines and teachings that, that drew the people away from God and uh, drew them into idolatry, drew them into immorality, uh, drew, drew them into everything except that which was true. And, uh, and how they, they, uh, their, their teachings were damnable, which means people who believed these teachings became damned. And uh, they, they, were, they were people who were part of us, part of the people of God, but they, they backslid and they went out and they tried to take as many as they could along with them. So look at 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. It says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. A heresy is anything that contradicts the truth. We'll just leave it there. A heresy is anything that contradicts the truth. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, these people who go this way, they, they are soon cut off. They're soon destroyed. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many people are going to follow them by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. In other words, these people are, are going to live such horrible lives that it's going to cause uh, God and God's ways to be evil spoken of. In other words, people will associate their sin with what they've been proclaiming, and it puts it in a bad light. You know, uh, anytime, anytime somebody, even in our generation, has some no notoriety and they maybe they're a great, successful religious leader and then it f turns out that they were, you know, keeping company with prostitutes or they were molesting little boys or something like that, it not only destroys them and brings them into disrespect but it also brings their whole church into you know it, it shames the whole the whole body that they represent, and it causes people anytime anytime you uh, you know people associate that person with your church, it brings it brings disgrace upon your church. Just like somebody some rotten rotten apple kid goes out and does something that besmirches the whole family name. You know, it happens all the time, and uh, you know it's it's hurtful. It's it uh, it and it and in this case, it uh, gives God, and it takes God's name and drags God's name through the mud. And so we don't want to live in such a way as we we uh, we soil the reputation of God. Right. Yeah. Amen. 
And then he says, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. That because they are so bent upon their own uh, selfish desires, they'll make merchandise of you. In other words, they'll use you to make money. They'll use you to help build their kingdom, so to speak. And uh, they'll look at you, and your only, your only purpose in their life is dollar signs. And they're always, they're always raising money, and you're the, you're the one, you're the pump they're trying to pump the money out of. And even if they give to you, they're giving to you like somebody priming the pump. They give to you, and then they want you to give back more to them. And so uh, the, these, are, these are people whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Let me read these verses out of the Passion Translation, because... King James sometimes is so foreign to us that we don't really comprehend what he's saying. But the Passion Translation makes it pretty clear. Verse 1 says, In the past there arose false prophets among God's people. Where, where do the false prophets like to go? They like to go to church. Just as there will continue to be false teachers who will secretly infiltrate in your midst to divide you bringing with them their destructive heresies. They will even deny the master who paid the price for them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow immoral lifestyles. Because of these corrupt false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. They are only out for themselves, ready to exploit you, for their own gain through their cunning arguments. Their condemnation has been a long time coming, but their destruction does not slumber or sit idly by, for it is sure to come. Then in verse 4, he starts, he starts talking about some Old Testament examples. These are individuals who uh, brought in false teachings or false ideas into the people of God, and God had to judge them. And he starts off first with angels, fallen angels. Uh, first, Second Peter 2, 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, whoa, so what, what happened here? Okay, uh, 1 Peter 3.19, he refers to them as spirits in prison. And uh, Jude 1.6, he talks about everlasting chains, fallen angels who are kept in everlasting chains. And uh, uh, these are all referring to the, the same group of angels. These were the angels that, were, uh, that had fallen uh, from heaven, they had followed Lucifer in his rebellion, and they had come to the earth, and they had begun to defile the human race by taking human women and mating with them and producing a hybrid offspring. And that produced giants in the land, people with uh, you know, superhuman strength and abilities. And it was, uh, it was an attempt by Satan 
to defile the whole human race so that there would not be a pure seed uh, uh, from, uh, from Eve. Remember the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent? Well, uh, because of that prophecy, Satan and his cohorts were trying to, trying to uh, destroy the pure strain of human beings in the earth. And so God destroyed them with the flood. Y'all remember the flood? It really did happen. There's all kinds of archaeological and geological signs all over the earth that there was a catastrophic universal flood. And it happened to destroy these angels and their offspring and all the seed that had been defiled by them. They were, they were literally manipulating human genetics which is what they're trying to do again. So we know that destruction is coming, uh, at least upon them. God, God did not wink at it then. He's not winking at it now. He's not going to put up with it. So these people that are messing with human genetics, even, even the, uh, you know, the, the, what you call them, vaccines, uh, are are uh, are changing human human genes human you know uh, DNA and uh, that's that's a satanic thing that's rooted in Satanism it's rooted in this attempt to produce a a non godlike race of people on the earth and to kill off the ones that do exist. And they have their own prophets today. There are, there, are, there are prophets that are getting up prophesying that man doesn't need God anymore. Man can create on his own without God. And they're talking about all the, all the merits and benefits of being able to do that. Well, God doesn't like that. So these, these, the, the spirit of these false prophets are still among us, even though God destroyed these angels by, and, and he took them down in, into a place, a compartment in hell called Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, which is one of the five compartments of hell. You have Paradise, Tartarus, Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna. Gehenna is the lake of fire. That's the final place. Uh, Tartarus is just for these fallen angels. Uh, Sheol is for another group of uh, 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 disembodied demon spirits. And then Hades, that's where humans go when they die. Paradise is where the righteous went, you know, into Abraham's bosom. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he took paradise captive and, and took everybody into heaven with him. And then he, uh, 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 Hades enlarged itself and took over that compartment that used to be paradise and uh, and Hades is like the it, it's kind of like the county jail when you first get arrested they put you in county jail until your trial and then at your trial they take you out of county jail bring you before the judge in this case it'll be the great white throne judgment they'll bring everybody that was dead everybody in hell everybody who died you know they, they'll all be taken out of the county jail out of Hades taken before the great white throne judgment of God and uh, found guilty, guilty of not having their name in the book of life. 
and then they will be cast into the prison. And that's Gehenna, that's the lake of fire. And Satan himself and the false prophet and the Antichrist and all those people, they're going to be, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And they're, once they're in there, they never get out. It's a place of eternal torment. So if you think hell's bad, if you think Hades is bad, wait till you get to the, the lake of fire. You know, uh, uh, we, we actually are making a mistake when we tell people that you'll never get out of hell. Well, if hell is Hades, yeah, you're going to get out of hell. But you're, that's like getting out of the frying pan into the fire. You're not going to get out of hell in order to go free. You're going to get out of hell in order to be tried and you appear before the judge. And then you'll be found guilty and cast into the lake of fire and you'll never get out of there. Now that's a whole teaching in itself, and you can find that teaching on talkbiblesermon.net. It's called The Truth About Hell. I've also got one called The Truth About Heaven, and I recommend you refresh yourself with that information once in a while, because that's where, that's, you know, here we are talking about it again. That's where the angels are. They're in Tartarus. But also, in the time of Noah, 2 Peter 2, 5, he said, and he spared not the old world, he destroyed that whole world that had been polluted by this, this evil. He, he destroyed all of them, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Even, even in, in the midst of that total destruction, you know, the whole world, every living creature, every living, breathing creature, died in the flood except for eight people. Now, that's a small group that got out. And, the only, and I think the only reason six of them got out is because they were related to Noah. They just kind of, Noah, God saved Noah and his house. So there's, that's a powerful prophetic word concerning your house. You know, your, your house may not be worthy of being saved, but because you're the head of that house, the Bible says your prayers will sanctify your house. It'll set your house apart. Now they're, st they're still going to have to, you know, surrender to God and get right with God. But they get they get uh, really special attention because of you. Well, he brings up he brings up uh, a case in point in verse six, Second Peter two six turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. But verse 7, he says, And it delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Well, you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how Lot happened to be there. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and he was a beneficiary of the Abrahamic covenant. He was blessed because of Father Abraham. He got so blessed that his herds were growing so big that they began to compete for pasture land with uh, Abraham's herds. And they decided that it, was, it would be a, a fitting thing and before they get into quarreling and fighting among themselves over the, over the grassland to separate. 
And so you know the story how Lot went down into the valleys, the green fertile valleys, and took his flocks. Abraham stayed in the rocky hills. And God blessed Abraham, and Abraham became very, very rich. And uh, Sodom, uh, uh, Lot moved closer and closer and closer to the city until he actually moved into Sodom and, and became the mayor of Sodom. And so his wife, Lot's wife, was a socialite in this city. Her husband's the mayor, and their children are enjoying all the benefits of, of, of the big city. But the city was wicked. It was immoral. It was perverse. And God heard of it. The city had a reputation, and God heard the reputation. And God made the determination that he was going to destroy the city. But he knew Abraham had a nephew living in the city. And so he says, I cannot do this thing without telling Abraham. i got to give Abraham a chance to get his family out of there because the city's going down. I'm destroying the city. And you know the story how God and two of his angels, some people believe it was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it was the Trinity, visited Abraham's tent and told him what was happening, and Abraham began to Jew him down. He began to negotiate with God. If there be 50 righteous, will you spare the city? God says, yeah. Abraham says, well, if there's just 40, would you spare this? And he, you know how he went down until he finally got down to 10 righteous. 10 righteous. And he left it at that. Well, that's where we get the term, Jew them down. It, come, it comes from the Abraham actually Jewing God down to 10. But when God sent his angels into the city, he could not find 10 righteous people. And the angels that he sent, obviously, were so beautiful and glorious creatures that the men of the city demanded that Lot turn them over to them so they could have sex with them. That's how perverse they were. Lot says, oh, no, 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 no. God forbid that you do this. Here, take my two daughters. Do what you want with my two daughters, but leave these angels alone. And they refused the daughters. And it wasn't because they weren't attractive, weren't pretty. It was because these, these, these people were so perverse, they just had to defile anything that was holy. They had this, they had this need, this, this driving demonic force inside of them that insisted that they defy anything godly. And so you know how the angels blinded these men. And instead of these men running off, they started, they started groping around in their blindness trying to find these angels. They were so intent upon what they wanted to do that even blindness didn't stop them. So the angels grabbed Lot and his two daughters and his wife and says, get out of here because the fire is coming. And they got, barely got out of town when the fire and brimstone came down on those cities. Lot's wife, you know, the, the angels warned them not to, not to look back. Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And I think it was because she was longing. She did not want to leave that. She was not willing to go forward. And so uh, uh, only Lot and his two daughters survived 
that that disaster, but it's but it, it caused Lot a righteous man. And he, what made him righteous in the sight of God was even though he was living among all these people, his soul was agitated by their wickedness. It, he was he was grieved in his soul by what they were doing. He knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And he was powerless to do anything about it. And God delivered him. But I think I think Abraham's intercession had a lot to do with it too. Had a lot. Pun intended. Amen. Now look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. And and uh, verse seven. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, from that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, and vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Uh, verse nine. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. You might want to underline or highlight that. That to me that is that is the key verse in this whole chapter. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. See, it may look like the unjust are just getting up getting with it. it may look like they're they're committing their horrible horrible deeds and getting away with it but remember this promise they're being reserved for punishment chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government presumptuous are they and when it says despise government it means they don't want anybody controlling them they, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. What's a dignity? It's a, any person that God has placed in authority. It could be a husband over a family. You, you do not allow your children to badmouth dad. Don't allow your children to speak evil of their dad or their mom. I was sassing my mother one time. Next thing I know, I was picking myself up off the floor. My dad's invisible fist just came out of nowhere, knocked me cold on the floor. I never even, I didn't even know he was home. And when I did come around, he says, you'll never talk to your mother, my wife, that way again. And I didn't. He cured me. Amen. And yet people let their kids talk any way they want to them today. They need to be slapped down. Literally, physically, financially, verbally, in every way possible. Slap their silly heads off. Amen. Don't let them do it. And don't let them talk about spiritual leaders. Don't let them talk about the pastor. You may have a problem with, with uh, spiritual leaders or elders, leaders in the church. You may have a problem with them, but you're just supposed to take your problem to them. 
You're not supposed to pass it down to your family, your children. People who have the preacher for lunch without him being there, people that have the preacher to lunch in front of their kids should not question why their kids don't go to church when they grow up. You did it. I'll tell you this much. My dad practiced what he preached. And I never, I never heard my dad undermine the pastor. I never heard my dad undermining the church board. Two of his brothers were on the church board. They wouldn't let him join the church. His own brothers wouldn't let him join the church because he smoked cigarettes. Did he badmouth them? Not a word. He said, well, I shouldn't smoke. <laughs> you know, but he never, he never bad-mouthed him for it. The pastor thought he was going to hell. I mean, I mean, I mean, we'd have a move of God in the church, people in the altars. The pastor would come back and beg my daddy to come to the altar to get saved. Why? Because he smokes cigarettes. <laughs> Amen. But my daddy was as saved as any of them. How do I know? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, mercy. Against us there can be no law. My dad manifested the fruit of the Spirit better than his two deacon brothers. I saw my dad separate them one time from, from a big argument. These two Holy Ghost-filled, Bible-thumping deacon guys were going nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe, you know, hat brim to hat brim. I mean, they were at it. My dad puts his cigarette out, gets up and shoves them apart and says, Now, brothers, we ought not to behave this way. I'm sitting over in a corner. I nearly fall off my chair. All of a sudden, I realize, you know, who's the real Christian here? Well, they all were. And I loved my uncles, by the way. I loved them dearly. I still do. But my dad was as saved as they were. See, once you get saved, you can't get any more saved. And he manifested the fruit of the Spirit in his life, and uh, even though he never joined the church. He did quit smoking eventually, but you know, by then it was too late to join the church. Okay, anyway. I don't know why I brought all that. Let me read verse 9 uh, in the tr Passion Translation. If the Lord rescued Lot... He knows how to continue, continually rescue the godliness from their trials and to reserve the ungodly for punishment on the day of judgment. And this especially applies to those who live their lives despising authorities and who abandon themselves to chasing the depraved lust of their flesh. These people in the modern church, these are the people who say, well, you don't need to go to that church to go to heaven. You don't need to go to church to go to heaven. I pastor myself. You know, they're self-pastored people. Uh, they are. They 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 live what you call. You know, they live free. You know, I'm not bound by anything. I can live any way I want to. I'm not religious. I'm not going to do all that 
thou shalt not stuff. I can live like I want to and still go to heaven because haven't you heard once in grace, always in grace? And they, know, and they start spouting these doctrines that are really heresies. Hyper grace, for example. Hyper grace is a doctrine that says Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. We agree with that. But then they skip a point. They skip the point where you have to receive him. And they say, then that means that everybody's going to heaven. Nobody's going to hell. Everybody's going to heaven. And it don't matter if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or a, uh, an atheist or a communist or a Shintoist or whatever. You know, uh, because Jesus has paid for everybody, so everybody's going to heaven. And there's nothing you can do. You don't have to repent of anything. They actually say this. You don't have to repent of anything because your sins have been paid for at the cross. And therefore, you can just live any way you want to. Be happy. Do good. Because you're all going to heaven. Do you know that's permeated churches throughout this country? That doctrine has gone wild until you don't hear from the pulpit hardly any sermons anymore about repentance. You don't hear preachers calling sin, sin. Their churches are full of people who are living together, cohabiting outside of marriage. Well, used to, we'd, go, we'd, we'd call it, y'all living in sin. When are y'all going to quit living in sin? But nowadays, they can live that way and, and still expect to go to heaven. It's because of this heresy, this doctrine. It's gone to seed and it's producing fruit all over the world. But it, 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 it has its roots in evil men, seducers, who have seduced people away from the truth because of their own, uh, uh, what the Bible said was pernicious ways, which means their own desire to follow and consume uh, things upon their own flesh. They wanted to live that way. You know, there was a real popular preacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the 70s and 80s. Man, he was good. He was a good singer and good preacher and all that. And uh, he fell into these uh, heresies. And uh, uh, one day he got up in, in his church and he began to preach this uh, hyper-grace uh, doctrine. Come to find out, he was having an affair uh, with a woman in the choir, and he wanted to justify and continue that lifestyle. And so he just, he just got up in front of the church, and he just declared that, you know, we're free to do whatever we want. <laughs> and, uh, and so he continued, you know, shacking up with this other woman. And his first wife divorced him, and the whole church ostracized her. She was the bad one. She was the judgmental one. She was the evil one for judging her husband and hurting her husband's ministry. And, and, uh, and then they just accepted his new wife, you know, like she was the queen of the, uh, of the show. And the church goes on and on until, until it pulled completely away from, uh, 
you know, charismatic theology and all of that. And now they're a, uh, they're like a universal church where anything, anything, anybody, homosexuals, lesbians, people with same-sex marriages and all of that, um, all those kind of people can come there freely now and not be condemned. Aren't we so loving and kind? Well, we, you know, we don't condemn people. Their sin is what condemns them. But we're supposed to shine the truth into them so that they'll have a way out. But when the preachers, when the pastors and the churches lower their standards to the point that you can go there and not be convicted, then damnation is going to come upon everybody. I mean, they're all going, they're all going to suffer. And it's all because these guys are chasing their own depraved lusts. These are the kind of guy that uh, he talks about, you know, verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Y'all know the story of Balaam and Balak. Balaam was a prophet. He was a real prophet. But he sold his gift to Balak for money. And Balak wanted him to go and curse Israel. Well, he tried to go curse Israel. And remember, he opened his mouth and nothing but blessings would come out. And he said, I can't, I can't curse them. Every time I open my mouth, I can't do anything but bless them. And, and what can I do? And Balak says, you go try again. So he figured out a way for Israel to bring a curse upon themselves. He told Balak, he says, why don't you hire a bunch of the women, a bunch of these uh, heathen women in this, in this other town to just go into the camp of Israel and sleep with the men, have sex with the men in this town. And by them doing that, they'll bring the curse of God upon themselves. And so he got, he collected his paycheck and sure enough, they sent all these, uh, all these harlots, all these prostitutes into the camp of Israel. And they just went into the tents and slept with the men. The men slept with them and the curse came on them. Because God says, you do this, I'll, I'll curse you. And they brought the curse on them. But Balaam wasn't innocent. God judged Balaam f for it. Now, uh, there are people who are doing such things. They're seducing the people of God into sinful lifestyles for wages. Or whatever, you know. Uh, verse 17, these are wells without water. They promise, they promise rain, but they have no water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. They're luring people who had, com who had completely gotten out of sin. They've completely escaped from sin. These are born-again people, but they lure them back. They lure them back while they promise them liberty. Don't be bound by religious rules and all this. You can have freedom. Didn't Paul say, I, 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 I'm free to do whatever I want to? They forget the part where he said, but it's not expedient. 
They forget the part where Paul says, I beat my body black and blue and I hold it under lest after preaching to others I myself might become a castaway. They, they forget a lot. Of, they avoid all those repent scriptures. Amen. They promise liberty, but they themselves are slaves to their own corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. Whatever overcomes you becomes your master. 2 Peter 2.20, those who escape the corrupting forces of this world system through the experience of knowing about our Lord and Savior, they have escaped the corrupting forces of this world system through the experiential knowledge of the Lord. That, that's people who got saved. These are people who were born again. Notice what happens. Then they go back into entanglement with them, the people they were escaped from, and are defeated by them, becoming worse off than they were to start with. Don't tell me it's not possible. Peter says right here, it's happening. People who were once fully escaped from this world system of sin and wickedness are lured back into it by these false teachers telling them that there's no way you can send away your grace. Listen, folks, that is, that is the majority of evangelical churches. They teach that. They teach once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to lose it. Somehow or another, you get some kind of a lobotomy, and you lose your right to choose. You can't choose no more. That's not true, is it? God allows you to choose. You can choose every day who you will serve. Joshua said so. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. He gave them the option. God gives us the option to choose every day who we're going to serve. It's our choice. If we choose God, we, 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 we walk the path of salvation. If we choose against God, we jump into the fire. You have that right. God's not going to force you. He's not forcing anybody to go to heaven. He doesn't want anybody in heaven that don't want to be there. But he's not going to let you in by your rules. He's going to let you in by you doing what he does. He says. Okay, so it says that, that these people go back into entanglement with them and are defeated by them, becoming worse off than they were to start with. Jesus talked about it. He says, when a, when a demon is cast out of a man and his, he, his, his house is empty and it's swept, it's cleaned up, the man's clean, the, man's, the man no longer has a demon living there and he cleans his house up, but if he doesn't fill that void, that vacant spot with the presence of God, that demon, after going around looking for another place to live, will come back and find that this house has been all cleaned up and spit-shined and waxed and buffed and everything looking great. And he'll go get seven more stronger than him, worse than him, and he'll come back and that man's condition will be worse than it was to start with. And that's what happens to backsliders. 
when backsliders go back into sin, they become worse than they were before they first got saved. Some of you know that from experience. It's not hopeless for them because they they can still come to the Lord. They can still return to the Lord. And he said, if any, come, if any man come unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. And then he gave us the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son decided in the pig pen that he was better off in his father's house, even as a servant, than he was in the pig pen. And he said, I will arise and return to my father's house. When he got there, the father was waiting for him. Notice the father didn't chase after him into the pig pen. God told me a long time ago, don't chase after people. Don't chase after people. I used to. I used to, you know, somebody turn up missing, I'd go chasing after them. And then I found out that whatever I did to get them to come back, I had to keep doing in order to keep them there. And I was just making more work on myself. And God says, stop doing that. They, they need to decide in their own heart to return. But when they return, receive them. The father ran out and threw his arms around his son, wept, put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, shoes on his feet, and killed the fatted calf and said, my son who was dead is now alive again. And he, made, he, gave, he restored him to a place in the family. He didn't make him a servant. He restored him to a place in the family. God will do that. God will receive the backslider. He never stops loving the backslider. But if the backslider dies in his backslidden condition, he does not go to heaven because he's, he's in sin. Their true nature uh, begins to show here. It says if they, they've escaped the pollutions of the world, but they're like, they're like the dog. The proverb of the dog. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. I've seen that. That's disgusting. You ever seen a dog eat up his own vomit? You know what's worse? They'll eat another dog's vomit. And then they come at you with their tongue wagging and they want to lick you in the face. I think about that every time I see people, you know, letting their dog or cat just lick all over them. I wonder what he licked before he licked them. You know, they'll lick their own, you know, what's. They'll lick their own private parts. They'll eat up their own vomit. Then they want to come and love on you. You got to be wary of the dogs. There are dogs in the world, in the church. He said, the sow that was washed returns to her wallowing in the mire. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen that, I've seen, I've seen that lately. People come to the Lord, they get blessed, they get cleansed, they get free, they, they, and, then, and then, then they listen to people, and people talk them into going back. They let things discourage them. We've got we've to be more determined than that because it's listen folks it's my salvation i'm talking about it's my soul and if you don't fight for your own soul who's going to fight for it you need to make some decisions 
But understand in, in, in the conclusion of this that he says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. When these temptations come and evil people begin to spew their evilness and their false teaching and their false doctrines, you need to be so full of God. Notice he said godly, the godlike. You need to be so close to Jesus, so close to the Word, so full of the Word of God that you can spot a counterfeit when you see one. And the only way to spot a counterfeit is to be so familiar with the real that you can smell the, folk, the, the, the false a mile away. Amen? There are times, folks, you know, there's some really good, skillful preachers. Now, I probably didn't razzle-dazzle anybody this morning. Probably not real exciting what I've had to talk about this morning. And I and I've I, I've listened to some preachers. I mean, they could they could preach your socks off. I mean, they were they were so good, so skillful, such wordsmiths, so masterful in their performance. That I mean, they could have said they could have said. Anything in the majority of the people would have been shouting and praising God and following right along with them. But I and I could be listening up saying, Man, this guy can preach. Man, this guy's this guy's up. He boy, this guy's good. But then he'll say something, and all of a sudden inside of me I hear this sour note. You know? Well, that wasn't right. And before, I, before long, you know, I'm getting this agitation in my spirit. And it's like God is telling me, get up and run. Run! Get away from this. And I look around, you know, and I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get up and run. I look around and everybody's just there, just, you know, mesmerized. Well, it's demonic. There are spirits at work. And, and there's, a, there's all kinds of delusion and, and all kinds of falsehood. And, but they don't come across sounding false. They'll even use a lot of scripture. But it's all twisted and geared towards getting you to do what they want, which is m most of the time give them money. And I'll leave. I get out of there. And when I'm asked, why did you leave? You know, because I'm a leader, you know. People know I'm a leader. And I've had people say, well, why did you all of a sudden just get up and leave? I've had people actually ask me. And I said, because the Holy Ghost in me wasn't agreeing with whatever was in that guy. I had to get out. Well, then I'm the bad guy because, you know, I, I, dare, I, dare, I dared to judge somebody. Well, they asked me. If they didn't want to know, they shouldn't ask. But, you know, you have to do what's best for you. Get up and go. Get out of there before you become seduced. Because you stay long enough, it, it'll happen to you. Amen. Well, the next chapter, chapter 3, he talks about the end. He, he talks about how these people are going to be destroyed. And how God is going to destroy the whole world again. Remember the first time. Actually, some people think it might have been the second time Noah's flood. See, Genesis 1 
God created the heavens and the earth and everything was perfect, Genesis 2, and the earth became void. Something happened. And there's a lot of theory about what happened. So when God comes back to, you know, verse 3 to recreate everything, uh, he's putting everything back the way it was supposed to be. And that's the six days of God said, and it, it happened just like he said. Well, then the second time was Noah's flood. And then after Noah's flood, God put a rainbow in the sky and says, I'll never, I'll never bring this kind of destruction again. I'll never destroy the earth by water. But he did say, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. The law of seed time and harvest. Cold and winter, summer, summer and winter, cold and hot, seed time and harvest. There was a clue there. Because in the end, in the very end, harvest time comes. And all who have sown wickedly and lived their lives wickedly are going to reap the harvest of the wicked. He says, Jesus said, the angels will come through and they'll divide the good from the evil, the sheep from the goats, and the wheat from the tares, and the tares will be thrown into the fire. And at the end, at the very end, of course, I'll get into this next week, the earth will be destroyed by a fire, not a flood, but a fire. And it will purify the whole universe, and then he'll make a new heaven and a new earth. And that'll be, that'll be the end. But the end for us is going to be a beginning, a new beginning. So you say, well, where are we going to be if heaven and earth pass away? Where are we going to be? We'll come next Sunday, and I'll tell you where we're going to be.